Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Like us there. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, Stitcher, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. It does matter on the weird algorithms that are out there. And then we're also on YouTube if you want to subscribe there, if you want to look at a picture and listen to us. <laughs> I haven't gone back and looked at our sex episode yet. <laughs> I've gone back a couple times. It's still the most. Well, yeah, it's like going to stay the most until like a new one comes. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you drop like 150 episodes all at once, <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of views. Mm-hmm. But going forward, hopefully it'll be uh, there. But it's, not, it's important to be on YouTube, I think. Uh, what am I forgetting? Patreon, I hate critics.net slash Patreon is the best way to help support the podcast. We got some, we're going to change up the perks next year to like kind of make it more interactive or at least potentially more interactive for certain uh, tiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that does help the podcast out. It, it does, it's not cheap to run a podcast, especially a movie podcast when you got to run to the theater all the time. Uh, so any help is greatly appreciated. And then our merch tab on IHateCritics.net. Hopefully next year we'll be getting that updated too. I'm working with uh, Cousin Jeff on that. Uh, so hopefully I have something, I don't know, in the early part of next year. Maybe mid to early. I don't know, March, April. Uh, well, however long it takes him. I'm not going to rush him. Whatever, where his inspiration's at is where it's going to come. Uh, so I don't, uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh but yeah, so let's jump into the episode trailers. Let's start with Antlers. Antlers, uh, Scott Cooper, out of the furnace director, uh, directing a, a horror film. Right? This yeah, is, uh, it's a pretty great looking horror film. This looks amazing. In fact, uh, what a great trailer! This really sets you up for something uh, really unexpected. And, uh, uh, Carrie Russell, especially, is so so amazing. What a good choice to have here. But. Uh, I was really surprised because I was I was very dubious when I when I heard the title, and then I was kind of even more dubious when I heard the premise. But then I watched the trailer and like, wow, that's cool. Well, even Carrie Russell, as much as I love her as an actress, she's still that you know almost kind of like hiring a Walking Dead or uh, Game of Thrones care actor. You know, she's a TV person first or has been, and so. I don't know, she's almost so recognizable that I was a little, that was part of the dubious for me as well, but yeah, soon, and then Guillermo del Toro being the producer, not always the best thing in the world. True that. Uh, but yeah, Scott Cooper does definitely, I mean, the trailer is phenomenal, so I'm super excited about it. everything that, Carrie Russell looks amazing in it, everything looks, I don't know, looks like Groot's the killer, I don't <laughs> I really know what's going on, but I'm I'm game, I, I want to yeah. find out, and I can't wait to see for, it. For a director who's, uh, you know, become known for such, you know, either the heartfelt, you know, crazy heart, or, you know, something is as raw and real as Into the Furnace, this is, this is a big swing. Yeah, and, but he kind of just always lands in this nice little niche, never like the best of the year, but like, you know, always mm-hmm. in that you know 10 to 20 range maybe the upper you know the back part of the top 10 uh but still that's those are great movies and i can't wait to see what he does uh, promising young women <laughs> yes uh, carrie mulligan in uh in, in a very uh very unique premise 
<laughs> she plays a woman who likes to get picked up in bars and then uh, uh, pretending to be very, very, very drunk, uh, taken home by supposed nice guys. And uh, then she does something to them. Uh, we assume that she's she's killing them. But uh, the, the, the trailer is, you know, letting you kind of, you know, follow along and make up your own mind what's happening. And uh, she's such a great actress. She's just so amazing. She's so... I, I, I tend to forget just how dynamic she can be because sometimes she gets shunted into these roles that are kind of forgettable. Uh, and and he, I just love that she gets to play something here that's so, you know, vibrant and unique. Um, you know, she like she's the, one of the best parts of Inside Lewin Davis, and everybody misses her in that movie. I think. Everybody misses that movie. Yeah, I actually just listened to that one of the songs today <laughs> on my drive back. Uh, yeah, I this movie is not pretending to try to win anybody over. It's definitely it has its audience picked out already. Uh, it's going to piss people off the trailer, will at least, and then they won't go watch the movie. But for you know the audience that it's going for it looks like it could be pretty interesting and uh i mean just the casting alone with like allison brie and connie Britton, kind of a side characters and mclovin and was it adam brody or yeah, it was adam a couple brody, other yeah. people uh i i'm curious i'm definitely gonna see it it looks uh i don't know i'm curious where it goes beyond where you know the premise yeah but it definitely looks interesting if nothing else in the heights in the heights lynn manuel miranda in a movie that also looks uh, in its own way political because <laughs> i think the carrie mulligan movie is is uh, a political statement in its own way uh this is much more of a direct political statement about uh, immigrants and uh, a kind of a rebuke of uh of immigration law and specifically right back in the face of this president in a way that is very subtle and not uh, not over the top, not uh, name calling, but like, hey, hey, jerks, these are the people that you're that you're harming with your you know policies that, that don't take into account basic humanity, and I, I just love that. This is the best possible protest. This is the just to show basic decent humans being being humans, and. Uh, this is the thing that gets forgotten when we're trying to make a make policies that you know fit uh, to to laws and, and just working from words instead of just looking somebody in the eye. I would love to see somebody have to look one of these people in the eye, uh, you know. That and I know that they've done that, you know, because there are certain certain members of this of the other side who are putting these people in cages, specifically their children, and, and are somehow able to live with that. Um, I would just watch this movie and try and look at somebody's basic humanity and, and then tell them, get out of my country. You're, you're a horrible human being. Yeah. It's, I don't want to get super political, but it's very, obviously it's a complicated issue. Pretend it's com. you know, don't just make it black and white. Don't just like, Nope. Broke the law. I mean, it's not that black and white and this movie definitely, uh, I don't know. You know, hopefully it reaches the right people, but it's again probably fairly polarizing unfortunately, even though it shouldn't be. You know, it mm-hmm. shouldn't even be political. <laughs> you know, it's, it really does come down to basic I'm, decency. I think we're I'm imposing politics upon it, but I think that's I Well, think I, I know what you're saying. Uh but it I mean it, it and also I mean it's from the creator of Hamilton, it, you know, that audience is going to love it just for the musical element of it. Uh I'm curious. I haven't seen Hamilton. I don't know the songs, but 
you know, there's been movies like La La Land that have won me over, and uh, this looks like it could be something like that. And in a way, it kind of it looks kind of like Do the Right Thing meets La La Land. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, if nothing else. And it's summer 2020, so that uh-huh. means it's they're expecting you know a big audience to, for it, and I think they'll get it. They seem to believe in it, yeah. And then Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> I gotta ask, what do you think of this? I you're was the, shocked. You're a big Ghostbusters fan. I was. Well, I'm also a big Paul Rudd fan, so it it. I mean, I, I'm I'm on board. I liked that they didn't show any of the Ghostbusters. You know, Dan Aykroyd or Bill Murray. Uh, I like that it's kind of setting up for a new generation. I'm curious if they're going to ignore the women thing altogether. Or not I'm not that. It doesn't. It, it doesn't appear. I mean, based off of the trailer, I think they completely ignored it. I think that's that's, that's got to be non non canon. I, I would right. say. And whether they do or not doesn't matter. I'm not offended that they right. did it. Sometimes you know, a lot of movies ignore se- you know remakes and sequels, so I'm okay with that. But I, I just it looks kind of like a like a Stranger Things version of Ghost or It version, you know, with the kids, you know, taking over, and then Paul Rudd's kind of the lead. Uh, uh, is it Timothy Shall? Is that the actor? The who's the kid? I can't remember the kid's name, but oh, I see him in things. No, I, I- I don't remember his name. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But I've seen him, and he's been good. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I've, and Jason Reitman, for the most part, has been pretty lights out for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. If nothing else. What about you? It looks interesting enough. I like the, I like the approach of, uh, I, I, I like the reveal of of Egon's stuff. Right. I, I thought that was really, really sweet. The way that they did that and. Uh, Red's reaction when he sees the uh, the ghost trap and thinking it's a perfect replica, replica. and I, I, and the and the exposition that they put in the trailer was really uh, smart and necessary. Nobody's seen a ghost in thirty years, and, uh, and people uh, telling her about the Ghostbusters and telling kids about the Ghostbusters and how generational that was, which is kind of interesting because that's the way the parents are telling kids about Ghostbusters in a way, uh, <laughs> something that's not of our time. Uh, so I, I dig that. I dig that approach to this. Uh, yeah, New York in the 80s, there were ghosts everywhere. <laughs> well, it's neat that they're not trying to make Ghostbusters 3 just like 1 and 2. It's like, it's its own, it's a Jason Reitman movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know what that means, you know. It's, <laughs> but it's not an Ivan Reitman movie for sure. And I, I'm I'm curious where they go, and I'm definitely going to be there to see. Mm-hmm. All right. The number one movie this week was Jumanji, The Next Level. Yes, and uh, this is, of course, a sequel to the uh, 2017 Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which uh, was indeed canon with the original uh, Jumanji with uh, Robin Williams and Kirsten Dunst. And uh, this this time they're going back into the game because, uh, uh, what's his name? Kid from Hereditary. <laughs> Alex Wolf's character. Uh, he returns home from New York and he's sad. He's missed all his friends and they appear to be growing up and doing great things. And uh, one of them's doing charity. One went to the University of Wisconsin. The girlfriend, Martha, uh, is really thriving at school and he's not. And he feels like uh, he misses the confidence that uh, being Smolder Bravestone gave him. And so he wants to go back into Jumanji to, to uh, find himself again and find that confidence again. Uh, he ends up uh, 
going into a broken game and uh, into the next level, if it were, and actually not ending up in Smolder Bravestone. And uh, instead, his friends show up and they touch the game and it's broken and they end up in the game in characters that aren't uh, typical for them, aside from Martha, who ends up back in Ruby Roundhouse, uh, Karen Gillen. Uh, Fridge ends up in the uh, uh, Sir Darius something i can't remember his real name uh, the young actor who plays him ends up in jack black this time instead of a kevin hart uh and <laughs> we don't know where bethany went initially and that's a, a fun additional mystery that they add to the story and i love the way that she's brought back into it later that was really really fun uh but uh, danny devito and danny glover get sucked into the game as well as uh alex wolf's uh grandfather and uh his grandfather's best friend they get pulled into the game, and they are Smolder Bravestone and, and Finn. And <laughs> uh, they, it's really fun. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Uh, Jake Kasdan is a really smart director who uh, just knows how to make this movie really well. Uh, it's nothing special. It's not a, not a memorable, wonderful, classic action film that uh, needs to exist in any way, but it's <laughs> while you're watching it, it's a lot of fun though. I had a great time. I love these characters and I and you know, going into this I was really like not expecting to care as much as I did because I I just don't want to I was thinking I don't we don't need another Jumanji. And I now coming out of this one I'm like, you know what, I could do another Jumanji. <laughs> like I liked it that much. I just don't know <laughs> how you do it with the same humans <laughs> you know, i can see keeping the avatars the same but it's almost like you have, almost have a different group well, I, think of kids. They, I think this i think they tease it at the end exactly how they're going to do it i said sometimes with the credits because i didn't stay uh, i know it wasn't after, <laughs> all i remember at the very end they were yeah. like we're not going in ever again i don't i but i wasn't really paying attention. i mean i guess <laughs> i guess one does <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i initially was a little nervous about the trailer. Uh, I thought Kevin Hart and Danny, or uh, The Rock being Danny Glover and Danny DeVito was not going to work. Mm-hmm. But it does. It does. Uh, the Rock is so much fun pretending to be Danny DeVito. I thought he was the worst really? part of it. I, I, I still that. liked it. I, still I thought that. I loved Kevin Hart's Danny Glover, though. Because <laughs> he's a zoologist, and anytime an animal comes on screen, he would just randomly, slowly bring out facts as they die because he's not saying them fast enough. <laughs> And I, I don't know. I just the chemistry between all. I actually thought Jack Black was kind of the best. Yeah, because he plays the most characters. I think <laughs> he does. Yeah, yeah. And he nails them all in a weird way. And he's also, you know, I don't know. I've also been listening to a lot of Tenacious D the last couple of weeks. <laughs> but I, I mean, the whole cast has great chemistry. The four of them together are just fun. You're right. Yeah. It doesn't need to exist, but it's my kids loved it. Uh, I don't know. It's it is what it is. I could see them doing more. I don't, and I'll. I don't know. I'll go see it until it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed this, uh, and I didn't expect to. And uh, it it is entirely inconsequential. <laughs> it doesn't raise the bar or anything no. like that. It's not as good as the first right. one, but it's but it the characters are good enough. The kids, you know, the real-life characters and then the avatars, the chemistry between all of them are good enough that it it just works. And yeah. you'll watch them do bad things probably <laughs> maybe maybe once. <laughs> Seeing Alex Wolf sad, though, I can't help but see just how haunted he is. And I think of Hereditary, Hereditary. does affect this movie. <laughs> it's 
especially early on in that movie. It's just they keep waiting for him to slam his face on the desk oh, or God. something like that. <laughs> Slamming his head on the Jumanji game. Right. <laughs> and it, I mean, this is silly how they even get... Basically, he's sad because he's not The Rock anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's really what much. it comes down that's to. The, that's the driver of the plot, yes. But I... Danny Glover and Danny DeVito really do add something to it and make it. And I like the I like there's the the overarching story of the two of them trying to repair their friendship. I thought that was a the, a solid, well told story. Just as uh, you know, his Alex Wolf's character's uh, uh, insecurity about his relationship with Martha because she's in Wisconsin and he's in New York and they're having a long distance relationship and he's feeling very insecure about that because she's thriving so much. I thought they handled that really well. And my daughter is a cheerleader right now on top of a gymnast, so the scene where they all put their hands in the middle to go to the final <laughs> level, and they start doing the be aggressive chant. <laughs> Bethany does. My, the rest of them just yeah, look at her. Yeah. My daughter started, because it's one of their cheers, right? so she slouches down in her chair, kind of embarrassed. My son decided to get up and sit in the chair in front of us, because we were in the front row, and you know those little handicapped chairs? He went and sat in one of those, and as soon as he started doing it, he kind of stood up on his chair and turned back and stared at it. And started laughing really loud. Uh, but, I mean, it was an all-around fun movie, and uh, take your kids, it's a good time. Yeah, Madison Eisenman, a wonderful young actress who played uh, played uh, Bethany. I love Bethany. When Bethany gets into the game, I just thought that was wonderful choices. Yeah, I was curious what they're going to do, and because at first you see her just kind of sitting in the basement, like what the hell? Yeah. And how she gets in there is cool. Another yeah. throwback to the second, or mm-hmm. the, I don't want to call it the original, the other right. one. Uh, just good. Go see it. Uh, Richard Jewell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard Jewell. You know, it's funny. Uh, somebody I follow on Twitter who I, I, I like a lot uh, had an interesting thing to say about Richard Jewell. Uh, he said, "This is he said Richard Jewell is peak 2019. Here you have an elderly white man spending corporate money to rehab the image of a supremely mediocre white man at the expense of the reputation of a genuinely uh, accomplished woman. <laughs> that seems, I was like, yeah, that's I kind of like that. Um, I I get I'm I'm so angry at this movie that I really can't fairly judge it because I think for the most part there's a fine fine movie here if they just make one specific choice that is so egregious, so amoral, so disgusting that I can't get past it. This woman is dead, and they're just going to just just destroy. Her because she's a journalist and that's the that's their target here is journalists so they're going they're going after the media uh, when really it was the confirmation bias of the FBI that did this not the media well the media did it too but right they picked on her uh, I mean and the thing about it is is Olivia Wilde's performance is very strong and she wasn't wrong Kathy Scruggs uh, the reporter here uh, she was the one who broke the story she talked to the whoever it was that she talked to fbi police whoever it was and they gave her the story they gave her the scoop that yes the fbi was looking at this richard jewell who everybody for the moment thought he was a hero and he was in the end but but uh there there was perfectly fine reasons to look at him yeah the whole thing is they they're they're not wrong at what they're trying to prove they just went about it the wrong way she one, she never gave up her sources. She risked jail time and not giving up her sources. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how she got her. 
how the source, but that doesn't matter. Where the media messed up, one, it was a front page story, a big headline, making it look like he, but that, beside the point, was still sim- simply facts. He was the, a suspect. That's all that happened. It was the outlets that picked it up and ran for how, like weeks, making up stories when nothing changed. You know, that was where it became a problem. And they don't go after those people. They don't go after Tom Brokaw or anybody else that, you know, sensationalized this this story. And I don't know if she did some sensation. Even if she did, they don't go after that. They just show her initial story. They show her looking at other stories. But you don't know that she wrote them. I don't, I don't know nothing about, you know, what she did after that. But that's where the media messed up. It was the 24-hour news cycles where they're sitting here and making it worse and worse or standing outside his house there. And six years later when they caught the guy, he went and sued all the media outlets. All of them had to pay him except for the Atlanta Journal. Constitution. And they didn't at her request. She insisted that they not settle because what they had was factual at the time, and it was. Mm -hmm. Uh. It, so they just, I don't know, they just lost points. One, if what she did to get it doesn't make the story any stronger, any we- it's just kind of, it's it doesn't change their point, you know? It's just a cheap shot at her. And it's just a cheap shot at a, at a woman who uh, did not, she's not alive to defend herself for one thing. She passed away in 2001. And so that that just makes it so ugly to me that they would that they do this. You know, at least if she were here, she could say "go fuck yourself." At the very least, she doesn't even get that. She she's uh, she's passed away, and so they get to say that she's a whore. They basically just get to say, "Well, that whore accused Richard Jewell of being of being a killer." And f- no, Clint, that's not that's not what happened. You son of a bitch. And I'm sorry that I'm, I'm just angry. I'm too angry at that choice, that single choice that doesn't. It's not even necessary. It's not even goddamn necessary to put that there. It's not goddamn necessary to 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 portray her as having slept with this guy to get the story. That is not even remotely necessary. You can still make every other point in this fucking movie without doing that, and it pisses me off. Because that doesn't. It doesn't make their argument stronger in the movie, you know. Even the cheap shot doesn't make because they pick on one person as the media instead of the media as a whole, and that's the problem with the media is it's the media as a whole, not any one person. Even when she goes to take the story into the office, she's got to convince her boss to run it. And I'm like, bullshit. He's if anything, he's like, well, let's put it on the. You know, they're gonna. It's not like that, you know. This any. Chance oh, by the way, it should also be pointed out she had two sources for that. Right. By the way, because that's required of a journalist to get two sources, not just one. She had two sources, but they're accusing her of sleeping with this guy and then running with that. So again, total fucking bullshit. Right. Did she fuck them both? Is that your accusation, you fuckers? Right. It's <sighs> it it serves no purpose and it it, it hurts their argument uh, and. And it has become a distraction that affected the movie because overall it's a pretty decent movie. You know, if you get rid of that one, like literally seconds, because mm. you don't need it. No. Uh, she definitely knew the cops. She hung out with the cops. She was on the beat report in real life. Uh, she probably had relationships with cops, but never for stories. There's no evidence of that ever happening. Right. Uh, so it, it's totally pointless. And then it does take away from the overall movie. Uh, 
But, I mean, I was talking to my dad about it today, and I remember, like, I know the name Richard Jewell, and it's a shame. The media really did fuck him over. Uh, but he didn't, he did things, didn't help himself. You know, yeah. he said a bunch of stupid shit, and I was, my dad was going, I can't remember him kind of doing things that made him look like he was guilty. And yeah. I was like, yeah, <laughs> he did. He had a knowledge of, uh, of the type of bomb, uh, which he picked up a piece and took it home with him. I mean, he did stupid little shit that, uh, that doesn't really matter, because, again, there were, the FBI just had such heavy confirmation bias. They made up. A, they made up what they decided happened, and they were under pressure. And I don't care about the pressure that they were under, but they were under pressure to get this done. Uh, Louis Free, I think it was, was the uh, uh, FBI director at the time, was putting pressure on the guys on the ground to get this done. Get this done now. We need to protect the Olympics and America and our image. Get this done, and they settled on on this guy because it was the most convenient thing. Even though a very basic a very basic test of the facts showed he couldn't have possibly done it i mean there's just he couldn't have made the phone call and made it back to the bag he couldn't have put the bag down without having been seen doing it i mean because he was everywhere everybody knew him that's the thing i say that because everybody there knew him richard talked to everyone uh, so there, there was no way he was going to be able to lay that bomb himself and have nobody say, Richard, why are you putting that bag there? <laughs> like, and if he had an accomplice, it totally ruins the profiler part trying to put on him. Because, yeah, because uh, just... yeah, again, the profile was a lone bomber, and he fits the, he fits the thing of a lone bomber. But then, yeah, <laughs> he it, couldn't have it. That means he couldn't have possibly had somebody with him helping him. And at one point, you know, Olivia Wilde's character, she figures it all out. And she's trying to tell the FBI, and it's kind of—I mean, I don't even know what they're going for there at that point. And again, it, it just—they shouldn't have singled her out. They should have—it should have been more of an attack of the entire meeting. On top of that, with the FBI character, John Hamm's character, they give him an out because he was there, and his friends were—you know—so they make it look like, well, this is—it was okay that they messed up and picked <laughs> him, and it is okay for them to—he should have been a suspect, yes. Yeah. But, and I don't know how long he's a suspect for. I remember it vaguely. I mean, it was one of those things where the, it's the front page when he's a suspect, when they finally let him go, it's, you know, like page seven. You know, it's not a headline anymore. I didn't know. I I knew Richard Jewell's name without this movie existing. I don't remember Kyle Rudolph's name. I wouldn't have known. And I mean, you say it, I'm like, okay, now. But uh, it's not as memorable. And that's the kind of thing that's just frustrating when something... Like, I remember Pete Townsend from The Who got arrested for child pornography. Right. Big headline, cover story, rolling, whatever. Turns out he was writing a book studying child pornography. You know, he was molested as a kid, and he was writing a book about it. That book comes out. There's never another headline that says Pete Townsend cleared of child pornography. (laughs) So there's people that still believe he's into child porn, and that's that's what frustrates me about the media. But they don't go there. They don't – there's so many things they get. They miss the art boat on, and it – affects the point they're trying to make unfortunately i was on the uh i was on the radio the night that this happened i was one of the first people in our area to actually say on the air there was a an explosion at the olympics how old were you i was 20 <laughs> what year was this 96 so i'd have been like 16 yeah, I mean, I wasn't on a news station at the time. I was right. on Mix ninety six, but I mean, I I had a habit of this happening to me. I was also on the air the night that uh, Princess Di was killed. Like this, <laughs> this shit just kept happening. 
<laughs> I was getting ready to watch Saturday Night Live the night Princess Diana was killed. I was all excited the Spice Girls were on. <laughs> but yeah, Richard Jewell, uh, you know, a couple of stupid decisions have kind of affected probably the success of this movie. And not, I mean, it's just... It's frustrating because it isn't a bad movie. I know you kind of mentioned the guy playing Richard Jewell's Insufferable, but it's kind of the point, though. I guess. Sam Rockwell, you know, I I would say his performance was probably great if I could remember anything other than my blinding hatred. I think Olivia Wilde was uh, incredible at capturing this woman. I mean, based off of everything I've read about her, she did a great job of capturing her, and then Clint does this to her. And she says that she wasn't aware that she was under the impression that that uh, her and the John Hamm character had a previous relationship, and that that was going to be established, and that that would make a you know uh, at least kind of justify the decisions that get made in that moment. But uh, Clint completely cuts out any previous relationship between the two of them. All you know is they know each other because they do, but there's no romantic link to them until that scene, which I could see shooting it. You know, there could have appeared to be a leak, but yeah, it's yeah, they just messed up, and it's unfortunate because it's a pretty decent movie. Hey there, sup, man? Oh, just buying movies on Vudu that are like ninety nine cents. That's all I'm doing today. <laughs> <laughs> you need to buy the Uncanny. We're going to be talking about that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. After you said that, maybe. (laughs) That's our classic next week, for real. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's funny. It's funny. It looks funny. Anyway, Uh, you know what else looks funny? Yeah, we've we've talked about uh, Jumanji, Richard Jewell. Now we're going to talk about all the black Christmases (laughs) that ever uh, existed. Cousin Jeff happens to be a black Christmas expert. Uh, How many times have you seen the original? I literally don't know. I remember the first time I saw it when I was a kid, uh, when it was called Silent Night, Dead or uh, Stranger <laughs> in the House. Sorry, um, it's also known as Silent Night, Evil Night, which I've never seen it really anywhere except a poster that I own. Hmm. Um, but it was always on. I it was on HBO. I watched it on Thanksgiving when I was like probably eight years old, and it came out in 1974. Uh, it's it it was one of those movies that it was a real real cult classic for a while and now it's super mainstream horror classic uh it's finally kind of taken its place in the top of the slasher films um and that's where the problem of them remaking it comes in yeah um they first tried it, remade the original, it uh what 2009 was it 2006. 2006. Yeah. Um, well, the original movie, and I'm going to kind of spoil a few things for people because they kind of have to to talk about the sequels, but you really should see it no matter what. Um, if you like horror movies at all, if you like slasher movies, anything like that, if you want to know kind of where Halloween comes from, you should see Black Christmas, yeah, the pretend, original. Pretend it's, it's a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of can. <laughs> Can't you? Yeah, well... Mean. What's that? You can kind of pretend it's a prequel. Isn't that kind of even the rumor that Carpenter was kind of in his own way? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, the story goes that he met Bob Clark and he 
said how much he loved Black Christmas and Bob Clark, you know, he said, would you ever do a sequel? And Bob Clark said, well, you know, the killer gets away and they all go back to the sorority house and the next Halloween he comes back and then I would have called it Halloween. And that's apparently where John Carpenter stole the idea for Halloween from. Hmm. Allegedly. Um, I think that it, it, if you've ever seen the, uh, the first 15 minutes of um, I can't even think of the name, the name of the movie now. And I, uh, with Carol Kane and she's the babysitter and when a stranger calls, thank you. Um, <laughs> did I tell you I was doped up on cold medicine today? <laughs> uh, but everybody knows that, you know, have you checked the children and have you checked the children? The calls are coming from inside the house. Totally ripped off black Christmas. Hmm. Well, you know, it's um, interesting. I think because uh, Black Christmas came out in '74, it it influenced a number of movies where where you basically have this uh, uh, childhood trauma takes place. Child traumatized grows up to be killer. Killer becomes normal, and then but is a killer secretly. Like that is a premise for a thousand movies now. Right, but in Black Christmas, it it started off with. You don't ever find out who the killer is. Hmm. You don't, you know, you only glean that from the phone calls that the girls get in the sorority house, mm-hmm. which are pretty, pretty nasty. Um, and if you didn't, you if you don't build your, you know, you build the story of what happened to Billy, who everybody, you know, everybody knows as the killer. Now um, you take his story from the phone calls, and that he's done something with his sister, Agnes, you think? Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know for sure. They never say, oh, Billy was this frat guy who did this to his sister, and they never explain it. And that's one of the best things about the movie, is there, it's a downer ending, because you think that the the final girl actually ends up dying based on something that John Saxon's character says. But, yeah, I mean, you don't know for sure. It's just It's an ambiguous ending, which some of the best horror movies are. Um, the problem with the 2006 remake is it tried to explain all that. Mm -hmm. It tried to say, okay, here's the, here's the backstory in flashback of Billy, his sister, daughter, Agnes. I mean, that's like, wait, what? The mom just (laughs) fucked the son and the son has a weird liver condition that turns him yellow. And I, it was very hung up on the idea of eyeballs. (laughs) because of the most famous shot in black Christmas is Olivia Hussey breaks down a door, sees her dead friends. And then the killer, you see his eyeball behind the door and he's just whispering to her. And he's like, Agnes, Agnes, it's me, Billy. And you know, you're like, and I still get chills when I watch it. I've probably watched it a hundred times <laughs> because you just, that, that idea of somebody's just on the other side of a door from you is pretty frightening still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where the, the 2006 remake took all the eyeball imagery from. Um, and just kind of really, really went there with it. It did, but it you also, know, real- it also gave you this extraordinarily generic cast of characters that, uh, just, I mean, not one of them to me stood out, not even, not just one of those girls stood out to me in that movie. Yeah. I, the characters in the in the original are all very well drawn. You know enough about them to care about them. 
and you learn a little bit about each one of them throughout the movie with, I guess, the exception of Andrea Martin's character, but she's just the sympathetic best friend. When when you get to the remake, they all are very, very 2000s horror mm-hmm. girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've got Michelle Trachtenberg from Buffy and Harry the Spy and all that, who's just kind of bitchy, and that's, that's her only thing. But then the next girl is just kind of bitchy, and that's her thing, too. And <laughs> they're all kind of just bitchy. Yeah. And very what 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 you stereotypically think of sorority girls as with with not a lot of depth um, no. and that, that the thing is it's like you you took something that was so they took something that was so original and just made it so incredibly generic to make it of the time yeah exactly and, and don't get me wrong there are parts of that movie that I, now i enjoy mm. for what they are um, and it's just, it's mostly just kind of an atmosphere thing. And Andrea Martin, who's also in the remake, the first remake, right? she really brings a, you know, a sense of fun to it. And I like that. Once her character's gone, I'm just kind of, yeah, okay, whatever. Katie Cassidy's fine. I like her, but not enough to follow her through. And Kristen Cloak is all over the place. Although I really enjoyed her in the Final Destination movies. I think she only got this part because she was married to the director. Hmm. Well, what they do too is like with, like you said, Michelle Trachtenberg and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Lacey Chevrolet. These are people you recognize. So because of that, you don't got to give them depth. That's kind of <laughs> what they're going yeah. for. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of playing their part that they played in whatever they were right. previously in the horror genre. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it, it's sad because if you'd taken a couple of them out, and just concentrated on some of the other, you know, aspects of them and kind of built it up instead of trying to make it your typical horror movie that plays in one, it takes place in one night and it's just, you know, within like a couple hours, the original. And I, and yeah, I am going to keep going on about how great it is. Cause it just really is. Um, the original, what the original did well is it, took this over a couple of days and built up each of the characters and was in my opinion far more feminist than this new one which is really kind of the only reason it exists hmm. now and i want to i, I want to say that by saying that i am a card carrying flag waving Fruity feminist. Um, I <laughs> I don't want to say that other f word on the, but that you know it's like I'm I'm all for it, and I was actually really looking forward to the remake after I read some of the stuff that the writer April Wolf said. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh okay, she's really invested in this, and then I saw it, and you find out she really wasn't. This is a fashion statement for the most part, this, because because this, this is, is such a know, and, and such a shoddy I've, movie. Yeah, it's just it's it has all the subtlety of a fraternity paddle to the head. <laughs> it really I mean it's there's a way to tell this story and get your message across and black ooze coming out of a uh statue is not really the way that you do that. So we'll get into it here. This is uh, directed by Sophia Tikal and stars uh, Imogen Poots as uh, Riley. Riley's undergone a trauma previously. She was uh, attacked at a, at a uh, frat party. Uh, her friends are now making her go to another frat party, which that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, <laughs> they'll eventually make her perform on stage, performing a sexy song that turns into a prank on the on the fraternity who attacked her, even though they didn't know she was going to perform that night. See, this script is an absolute mess, Jeff. I the the opening scene. There's a character named Lindsay who opens up the movie, and she is the first kill. And what you come to find moments after her death is that she was two doors away from a sorority that she could have ran to instead of running to this house where she doesn't know anybody and she ends up getting killed. Like, it's just one of the, like, that's a, that's a stupid piece of direction <laughs> just to, to reveal that to the audience, that she could have just, two doors down, there were people she knew and could have helped her. But at the same time, the characters are so generic that I wasn't sure the first group of girls that we saw Lindsay talking to on the phone were they the girls that we were following, or they're not the girls we're following? I don't think they were, because later on there's dialogue to explain that. But the dialogue—it's all so—it's all so lazily put together, and it's all so sloppy that I couldn't tell hardly anyone apart. It's just there's this movie is infuriating in just how ridiculously sloppy it is, and all of it is just trying to get to the point where you can get to this ending that oh by the way this is a Me Too movie. <laughs> just at the end. I mean, I know it is early on because they got this prank thing where she gets on stage and they're singing this sexy song, Bob. And the sexy song turns into this thing where she's t- she starts singing about how this guy who's in the audience at this point uh, raped her. And the, the sexy song becomes about them calling them out. And it's supposed to be this big moment, but... First of all, she wasn't supposed to be she wasn't supposed to be singing that night. So, were the, was this yeah. the plan all along, or the the girl? There's another girl who her the the character of of Helena, of Helena makes no sense whatsoever in this movie. The way she's used because the idea that her use is so convoluted and makes so little sense. It's part of this just overall thing where they're just basically <laughs> I don't know. Do we spoil this? I don't know. You know uh, what I. At this point, yeah, I, I what I I was actually engaged, and I I kind of caught myself enjoying the movie for the first two acts, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, you know, having seen the trailer and having thought that it gave away every little thing in the trailer, I wasn't really looking forward to it until like the week before, and then I was like, oh, you know, what? I'm kind of I kind of want to see this now. Um, the the fact that it's a Me Too movie is fine. There are ways to do social commentary in horror movies, and that's one of the best things about horror movies is a lot of them are failed social commentary. You know, ask Jordan Peele, ask George Romero. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, there are ways to do it. Well, and the funny thing uh, is we watched, was, a, we watched a trailer earlier, Jeff, for a movie that's going to do this same thing, and it looks like it's going to do it far better with Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> okay nice it's called I'm promising young woman promising young woman uh looks really amazing <laughs> but it looks like a movie that actually put some thought into this idea as opposed to this movie well, which adopts it as a a fashion statement well, for it, these characters. it looks like just with having not seen it but it looks like there's someone in a boardroom going we need to do, we need to make money off this meat too thing <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> the impression we, that i got we got this ip that's really that we think we can you know, put five million into maybe we can get seven million back, which they did. Uh, <laughs> and so, I don't know. That's how I look at it. The what? What I feel like. I've heard a lot, especially this weekend, because people. It's it's almost as bad as the Last Jedi. 
the way people are on Twitter about this movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you didn't like it, you're a misogynistic pig. No, I just <laughs> didn't like it. Um, if you did like it, you're a social justice warrior. No, you have a different perspective. You know, it's it's that's fine. If you like it, you like it. I liked it until the last act, and I just felt like, oh, okay, I get it. And I kind of assumed, based on the trailer and the advertising for it, that it was along those lines. I just thought there are more allegorical ways to do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, you know, like shouting it in your face is, isn't effective. Um, and, and to make it, and kind of, it was kind of a cop out. If you're going to do that kind of movie and you're going to make it so that the men are terrorizing the women because, you know, they hate women or whatever, do that. Don't make it a cop out that they're just possessed by these black oil X-Files tears Right, that <laughs> they're zombies essentially. Uh, they're controlled by this black ooze that comes out of a statue of the founder of the college. The statue, which yeah. was removed from the from the uh, uh, public space because uh, the the founder of the college was a was a guy who owned slaves in the north, which which is the one thing that did make me laugh. He owned slaves in the north, like that, <laughs> that did make me laugh, but. Uh, they, they they protested that off screen before the movie started. They got the statue removed and moved to this fraternity and where they discovered that inside of it is this black ooze that they could use to turn their fraternity members into killer zombies. And Jeff, I didn't understand the bit about why she one of the characters has to gather all of their has to gather materials from each of the girls to then take back to the fraternity. That made no sense whatsoever. It, yeah, it, it, it. I think they were just trying to. They wanted to make it supernatural so that they could hedge their bets against the like the bad men thing. Right. Um. I I feel like if they were going to do it, they should have just said, you know what, these guys are assholes, and they're just killing these women because they're mad at them instead of blaming it all on this black ooze that makes them into zombies that kill. Why did they call it black? You know, I, I don't know. Great exactly. Exactly. Thank <laughs> you. Be- because if they didn't, Christmas. it'd end up on Netflix or Hulu, and we you <laughs> might see it. You might not. This barely. Wow. The only thing that I could find there were a few little, tiny little bits woven into the story that had to do anything with the original, but it really there's no reason to call this Black Christmas except you're just using that IP. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was just a kind of a cash grab thing. They could have. It was more like the Skulls X-Files Christmas special. (laughs) Skulls. (laughs) I mean, that's really, you know, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, this just looks like the Skulls Christmas special. And then I realized that it was because they were all being controlled by this black ooze. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's the Skulls X-Files. I get it. Okay. But it just... How did... Is it... It it should be... Does this not infuriate you that they take this thing that's actually really good and then they go, let's add a supernatural zombie element to it? Like, what the hell? Absolutely, it does. (laughs) Because it it just takes you... Black... The beauty of Black Christmas is it could happen. I mean, you know... Yeah, it's a little over the top, the fact that somebody's crawling into somebody's attic and all... But it's grounded in a sort of reality where this one is just kind of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. 
And, you're, and, and you made a great point there, but too, about the cop-out aspect, because this gives them a way to disown the very thing that they're talking about. Now we've, entered, we've added this supernatural element, so we can disown any, any talk. No, no, no. See, they weren't just, they weren't rapey boys. <laughs> no, no, no. They were controlled zombies, you see. So this yeah. whole point that you were trying to make, this whole Me Too girl power thing you're trying to do, you also put in this element that allows you to disown that. So it's, it's cowardice on top of everything else, on top of being sloppy. And, uh, and let's be real, I think that horror movies are, even even the ones where it's just, you know, cutting up stupid teenagers, inherently have a feminist message because the woman who's aware of her surroundings and aware of the world around her in general is usually the one who survives and is able to take on the killer, whether it's, you know, a mother who's taking revenge for her dead son or it's a guy who's just a psycho, you know, it's... It, it get horror movies give women agency the way that this one takes away their agency by making it supernatural. But you know that's one of the things that that I talked about when it came to uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The the interesting part of that is that uh, this that's a movie that is a movie that is so much better than other movies at talking about male fear of femininity and the f- male fear of not having mom. And you know you find that in the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that movie, that moment is so Im- amazing because you're talking about the the these are a group of of boys who suddenly they've got a woman here and they don't know what to do. And they're but they're also she's representative of what was absent from them and what's driven them to this point is the absence of femininity. It's the absence of a mother in that moment. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is truly like so much more. <laughs> That's just one of the many million aspects of that movie that is so ingenious, and yeah. and uh, that character that, sh- that the actress I'm ca- is escaping me, but that character means so much more than any other female horror character ever, and she's so much better than every other female horror character ever, just because of what Toby Hooper invests her with, without even knowing he's yeah, doing he it. I have a clue what he's doing, but it's, that's what makes it so much better. And if you really look at it, between Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, every horror movie that, at least in the slasher genre, has pulled from the two of those, you know, one in one way or the other. That's all I got. Yeah. No. <laughs> the absence no, of motherhood and the, and the fear of women coming together in one scene, so much better than anything they could have thought of for this idiotic black Christmas movie. They don't have one idea that even remotely approaches those ideas from a guy who didn't even know he was doing it. Agreed. I, I, I really wanted to like this. I really did. I just, I feel like the fact that they, it was originally an R rated movie and you can see where they edited it to be PG 13. I don't know if that was, you know, I've heard, I've heard some people on, on, horror Twitter talking about how it's so great because then they can get uh, teenage girls to see this movie or I only want to see opinions about this from teenage girls. Um, No, they did it because they wanted money because they could get more butts (laughs) in seats by making a PT 13. However, it looks like they just edited it with a pair of scissors. It just, every time they're going to show any bit of gore, they cut away. Yeah. Which There's leads- no trying to disguise it or anything like that. You know, it's... And the first one, the original, not a gory movie. There's like... There's just a little bit of blood in it. And it's more effective 
as an R-rated movie because there's you are able to bring that tension up. Just a little, just a quick little story about Jeff here. I, I uh, few years, a few years ago, it's going back a couple, a long time ago, ten years ago or so. I uh, went to Chicago to see uh, movies, and I was going to stay at Jeff's house. And it's about Christmas time, and I'm I'm sleeping on Jeff's couch, and about to, I'm literally like we're, we're going to bed. We're calling it a night, and he goes, you know what you should do is you should fall asleep watching Black Christmas. <laughs> 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 I know you're going to bed. I'm just going to put this on while you're going to bed. <laughs> and were you that. disappointed? Were you not entertained? <laughs> I'd seen it before. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those movies. I only watch it from Thanksgiving to New Year's, and I usually watch it two or three times. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many good horror movies that take place at Christmas time, and. I was hoping that this new Black Christmas would be one of them, but I think if I want to watch, if I'm going to watch something, you know, that's a feminist movie that takes place at Christmas time, it's going to be the original. You know, the fact that for the time it was 1974 and she was going to have an abortion, you know, that was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. This is coattail writing, in my opinion. Pretty much. Hey, Jeff, do you have any idea what a diva cup is? <laughs> I do know what a diva cup is. It comes up in the movie for some reason, and I don't understand why it's here. It makes no sense. So the Helena character is gathering things from each of the people who are going to be murdered. One of the things she gathers is, is something called a diva cup, which apparently goes in, in, in the... At the front of the vagina, in the vagina, I don't know. Like a pee standing up. I don't know, (laughs) but the bottom line is, she steals it from one of these characters. That character ends up getting killed. I, but I don't understand. Somebody else had one and just gave her that, and like, how? What? I don't. So, did you just Google it, Bob? (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a menstrual. I don't just. Yeah. Is this the type of thing that another person of a would pan- share with you? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know if they're, if you just, I imagine you throw them away when you're done. Maybe not. No, she, no this was her personal one. She was very specific. She had to have this one. which Reusable leaves no trace of residue after use. <laughs> My wife's, you know, she's had her uh, uterus taken out, so she doesn't get her period anymore, but... I'm sure she. So I don't know much about the stuff. She's gonna love hearing. She doesn't listen to the podcast, but basically, yeah, it's something for that. (laughs) Wow. And my daughter's not old enough yet, so (laughs) I'm I'm a little removed from that. It means nothing, but it was just one of those other another one of those idiotic, sloppy elements of this movie that makes no sense. Well, I like, just I, yeah, characters whole, show up know, at places like, like characters show up at places where you you don't know they're going to be and they're they're conveniently placed. Uh, the Helena character especially is conveniently placed at one moment to to prevent the movie from being stopped by you know a plot point, and she just she didn't know she was supposed to be there at that point. She didn't know that this other character was going to be in that spot at that moment. But the plot needs her there in that moment to do something, and so she does it. And it's just, I hate that. It's one of the biggest pet peeves I have about movies. I it got to the point where I was the only, uh, I was calling the characters by their actor names because <laughs> Imogene Quince was just, I just couldn't, you know, 
so much I, better she was than the only this. One I knew. She's so much better than this. She, I, oh. she was in Green Room, and that that movie does this better. <laughs> well, I hate to blame anybody yeah. involved because this is clearly the studio. You know, clearly. when you go from R to PG thirteen, yeah. when you're trying this to monetize is... Me Too, when you're using an IP that makes no sense to this movie, no. other than the fact that it's Christmas and a horror movie, this is all studio one hundred percent. And if it weren't for Richard Jewell, this might be my worst of the year. Richard Jewell's better than this, just because they <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have the fiery, passionate hatred for I it. I do for that. <laughs> I'm, I, I, this is definitely probably my worst of the year. Yeah. Uh, just because of how, you know, how much I hold up the original and how much I kind of grudgingly enjoy the 2006 remake. Uh, I, I will say when I first saw it, I saw it in the theater and I did not like it. I was so, I was gutted. I was just, it drove me nuts that this movie, and then a couple years later, somebody gave it to me for Christmas kind of as a joke <laughs> on DVD. And I, I'm like, all right, you know, it can't be this bad. And I watched it and it, it has its enjoyable parts. And I, you know, I know the filmmakers that made it and I know that they revered the original, um, if you're gonna watch a, if you want to watch a horror movie that's uh, Christmas, that takes place at Christmas but isn't Christmas themed, watch Inside. Have you ever seen that, Sean? No, it doesn't sound familiar. I can't. It's uh, the story of a woman who is in a car accident at the beginning of the movie, and her baby. You see her baby inside her, like take you know take the brunt of the crash. Mm. Her husband is killed, and then a few months later on Christmas Eve. She's set to give birth on Christmas, and uh, she starts being terrorized by a woman who wants her baby. Yikes! And it's it, it's a French film. It's insane. Oh, I love the French. Just, I do love it, the you, French. Yeah, you should. I should bring it home at Christmas and let you watch it. It's it's that amazing. Oh my god! So, I think I've seen this. <laughs> I'm Googling it as well. I, I have seen this movie. That's, yeah, I remember that being fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like martyrs level or like. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, I mean, on the way. I okay. mean, it's on the way it's, there. It's right around. It's it's in that little um, that little pocket. Yeah. And I mean, you like Night of the Virgin? You'll I love like Night of the Virgin. That movie's so amazing. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I bought it because you you said it was so good yeah, on the show. It's so incredible. Like, well, I couldn't rent it. I had to buy it for ten bucks, and I was like, "What the fuck did I just?" Buy? <laughs> I want to pass this movie around like an infection. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ring. Uh, uh, no, I'll, I'll bring you a copy of uh, Inside, um, and it, it you can actually I think you can get it on Vudu too if you want to watch it right Funny. away. I give him martyrs one year for Christmas. You get them inside another year for Christmas. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, that's, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm all about Christmas horror movies. Um, you know, silent, Died, silent night, deadly night always, you know, I have to, I can't watch that more than a couple times, but it's just so cheesy that, and then the second one is even cheesier with garbage day. <laughs> so, but and have you seen, Cadaver, I mean, have you seen cadaver Christmas? <laughs> Jesus. I started to uh, five years ago. Um, 
I was house sitting and actually I started to watch it and then the power went out. So I don't know. I I, I mean I'm I've been waiting for the host of this stupid podcast to send me a copy, but you know, Let's see if I can find you, one you somewhere. Box one, box one sitting around somewhere, don't you? I no, I got rid of all of them. I think I, I, it's on Amazon. Uh, but I don't know. I'll have to find it. <laughs> I'm sure. I used to just buy like five I, at a time and then can them out. I did watch a movie from a Quad City native the other night, though, um, called Mrs. Claus. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. We talked about it on the I podcast. Actually, um, one of my first crushes when I was back on AOL 20-some years ago was <laughs> the director of this movie, Troy Escamilla. And... He's a huge horror fan, and I really, I, I, the movies are shot, you know, very low budget, and this one had Brinka Stevens in it, who was in Slumber Party Massacre, and a bunch of other '80s horror movies. Um, I feel like, given a budget, he could do pretty well. Hmm. Um, it, you know, and it's it's one of those things where it's like you. You hear all you hear the arguments of hey uh, you know I wish these were more normal people like in the original Friday the Thirteenth or whatever but then you get the normal non actor people doing these movies and you're like oh why yeah let's go back to Katie Cassidy <laughs> right. um, you know it, it was it was it wasn't as bad as I as I had heard it was from the reviews on IMDb but um, as far as Christmas horror goes it was Christmassy yeah. enough. What about Santa's sleigh? I love that. Oh God! Bill I feel Goldberg? like I saw that a long time ago. Fantastic. At a friend's house. I never understood. I never. I don't understand the premise. Just Jewish Santa, Santa Claus. To, yeah, just Santa's just killing people. Uh, just and, brutally. And he's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> just brutally murdering people. He's played by a professional wrestler. This is why I am aware of it. <laughs> well, James I mean, Goldberg, you know. <laughs> I just I also watched uh, Rare Exports. Love that movie. Have you seen that? Yes. Not aware of that one. No. It's awesome. That's yeah. It, it's a pretty good movie. It was. Uh, it's on Prime. Um, you can do. Uh, you, you'll do well to watch it with an open mind because it it's it's a little nuts. But basically, they find the grave of Santa Claus in Finland. Mm, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, watch that for sure. Um, if you want other holiday horror movies, there's Red Christmas with Dee Wallace, in which her um, partially aborted baby comes back years later. <laughs> well, all right then. Um, yeah, it's that one is like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? Um, yeah, there's. I mean, the better watch out. There's creatures. All the creatures were stirring. There's just tons of Christmas horror movies out there. Uh, nothing, of course, is tops the original Black Christmas, or even Silent Night, Deadly Night One. Uh, uh, I, I think the ultimate Christmas horror, though, is clearly Santa with muscles. What? <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan movie. He stars in a, in a family comedy called Santa with Muscles, and I've never been more terrified in my life. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I will say on I'm on Amazon right now. A Cadaver Christmas is fifty five bucks. If you want to buy it, <laughs> or it, it is available on Prime. So for all you out there who want to watch it, 
As is Mrs. Claus, if you want to support the Quad Cities. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it for Black Christmas. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about another horror next, uh, Jeff. We're going to talk about Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I don't let you guys do yeah. that because I, <laughs> I turn that one off halfway through. I do too. Not me. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jeff. Thanks a lot. All right, talk to you later. Bye, ladies and gentlemen. This is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized. Classic. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, we didn't have a classic. Uh, we were going right. to... I guess we were going to do Black Christmas, but both Sean and I forgot we promised Jeff that. <laughs> so you just kind of heard uh, a little bit of Black Stop Christmas. Stop lifting the veil. <laughs> uh, but Driving Miss Daisy turned 30 this week, and neither one of us were going to watch it. Right. So we're like, well, what if we just make it the classic? It won the Oscar. We should at least give it a shot so we can talk about it on the show. So... Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy stars Jessica Tandy in her Academy Award winning role as Miss Daisy, who is uh, the patriot. She's a Jewish woman living in the South who uh, crashes her car and needs to be assigned a driver because her boy, her son, played by Dan Aykroyd, Booty, Booley, Booley. Right, that's his name, Booley. Uh, he's worried that she's going to hurt herself. So he hires a driver for her. Morgan Freeman is that driver. And he drives her. That's yeah. That's that. That is basically where this goes. That is all the conflict that you're going to find in this unwatchable movie. 1989. What the hell were you people thinking? Um, just what was it about this that you go? You know what? This is the vanguard of cinema right here. This is the ultimate accomplishment that we've made in 1980. I realize this is it. In- incredibly mediocre year for movies. I realize that that uh, looking back on this of what we've watched this year, I can think I can recall Sex Lies and Videotape. That's pretty much like the Do the right thing. Do the right thing. There you go. Uh that's it. Those are one and two for sure in terms of like memorable classic movies. The uh this is a bad year for movies, but Driving Miss Daisy. And it just gets more egregious when you think about Do the Right Thing came out the same year and they awarded this. You broke me, Bob. You broke me on the Oscars. You did. You've ruined the Oscars completely for me. Well, that's a good thing. I broke you on Crash. (laughs) It was Crash first. And then I always kind of had the Forrest Gump thing in the back of my mind. But until we had this show, Forrest Gump really hadn't just it hadn't hit me how much I hate Forrest Gump. Green Book last year. Which Green Book is a lot. It's way more watchable, but it's just this. Like I'll, I'll, I'll Driving Miss, da- Driving Miss Daisy is it just exists. There's nothing wrong with it. It's watchable enough for what it is. <laughs> I think the acting is superb. I think Morgan Freeman is amazing. I would have been okay if he got an Oscar for this. That said, <laughs> you know, no one is talking about Drag Miss Daisy now. They are talking about Do the Right Thing. They are talking about Pulp Fiction. They are, it's it's amazing how little people are talking about Driving Miss Daisy. I did a search on YouTube like I tend to do. Look at, and I like to look at YouTube uh, reviews. I like YouTube critics. They're they're often very very interesting and insightful. No one 
has talked about driving Miss Daisy in the last 30 years. No. You can't find one person under the age of 30 who has talked about this movie. The last time anybody talked about this movie was in Living Color in 1992 when they did two sketches mocking the hell out of this movie. <laughs> I will say when we talked about a green book, I mentioned Driving Miss Daisy. Is, is that what this movie is kind of what that was thirty years ago? Because I have never seen it, uh, and Green Book's kind of—it's just a safe movie you can't hate, you know. And the, when you start to hate it, it's because it's you know getting more <laughs> attention than Hereditary <laughs> and all these other great movies. Uh, I, I think part of the problem too with the Oscars is since we've been doing the podcast, for the most part, more than not, we've agreed on the best movie of the year. Yeah, uh, I think you had Jobs one year, and I had something else, and right. then I, that might be it. Otherwise, we've been we pretty right on, <laughs> especially when it comes to like the great. Yeah, you know, our, where we align in terms of interests is at our favorite stuff. It, it it's right on, and I think that has helped too because. For the most part, we've not won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I just every time I think of the recent past of the Oscar, the artist, the King's Speech. Does anybody remember those movies in any way? But then, can you what, tell me? Can we? Can you tell me the pre- the premise of the artist right now? No. <laughs> Is that the silent movie? I think, yes, it was with the French guy. Right. That nobody remembers. But I do know that Gone Girl didn't get nominated. Uh, Hereditary didn't get nominated. Nope. Midsummer is not going to get nominated. Nope. I don't remember if Arrival did or not. It didn't win. Nope. Uh, they did get nominated, yes. Uh, but it, so, I mean, a lot of the. It's been. It, they've just not. Unless you have like a Tarantino or a Coen Brothers, you might slip in there for a, you know, a courtesy nomination right. or a Scorsese. But. Uh, You're right. I have to. I have to to give you credit. You said award show were bullshit from the beginning, Uh, because I was. I was the one who had the idea to. We'll go live after the Oscars. That was my idea. We'll do a live. We'll do. We'll go on the. We'll record right after the Oscars, which was fun for a while. Yeah, but then I just started getting mad. Because I was, I, I, I grew up on the Oscars. I grew up having Oscar parties. Like I, for the year that the King's Speech won, my, me and my sister and our friends got together, and I bought a cake that had the Academy Award nominees listed on it. I love, I loved the Academy Awards. I just never thought about the Academy Awards really. And now that I'm thinking about it, like. It's just making me hate everything about it now that I'm really thinking about it and really just the just this driving Miss Daisy has broken me. It broke my ability to to give any credence to the academy anymore. And I know that should have happened with Brokeback Mountain getting beat by Crash. That should have happened with Pulp Fiction losing to Forrest Gump. It should have happened with whatever Green Book beat last year. It should have happened then. Terry. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, and I, I've settled it. Like in the past, just the past four years, I've always, I've just simply settled for the fact that the movie I love wasn't even going to get nominated, and it never occurred to me that I should blame the Academy. That I should get, a, that I should finally be upset. But now I'm upset. Like I know Midsummer is better than just anything else that's been made this year, and no one, it's not even going to get talked about. And if there was consistency, you know, I kind of look at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where. At one point, Kiss wasn't in and Rush wasn't in. So I'm like, well, is it because it's a popularity contest or is it because there's talent? You got the popular band in Kiss and then you got the talented band in Rush. Neither one of them are in. So why? what, what, what are you judging this on? And it's kind of like that with the Oscars. It's like, you know, 
just you know you got the Godfather and then you got Die from Stays. You know, there's they get it right on occasion, right? But in the end, it, it, it doesn't are, matter. These, these are the people who know more about making movies than anybody else in the world, and they end up settling on the easiest, the safest possible choice every single time. Just like just like the 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 public who who goes to the movies chooses the 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 least controversial the 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 the, the movie that has the four quadrant appeal to everybody. Uh, everybody likes every movie that they see for the most part. I, is it, this is a thing that's, that I've noticed a lot lately is that I rarely ever hear anybody say how much they dislike something anymore. And that really worries me now. The more that I think about it, like this driving this daisy thing has broken me in such a way. I'm going, does anybody hate movies anymore? Am I the only one? Because I get constantly, when I'm talking about, I go, when I'm on the radio talking to people about movies and I say, you know, this movie isn't very good. I, I keep hearing from people, instead of just, they won't say that they hate anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, here's where I'm at with it, and I've said it before, but like we just got done talking about Black Christmas. Something like that, to me, is not even worth hating. You know, it is it is a product that is simply there for making money, uh, so it just kind of exists. It's What I end up hating is something that just, like a like a crash, you know, or they are trying to make something great and they just fail miserably a forest gump, you know, something like that. That's actually not, you know, it's like a step away from being great, but there's just something that they didn't get right. And people think it's great. And because they think it's great, that's what really makes me hate something. It's not, yeah, I, I, it's the, not little Nicky. Cause I, I don't, of course it's bad. You know, it's <laughs> not worth talking about. No, it's, it's the more I get, the older I get, the more this, the safe and the bland bother me that much more. Like this movie is safe and incredibly bland. It goes down very, very, very smooth and easy and forgettably. And it, it's a narcotized movie for a narcotized audience. And then we've, we've made the joke years ago on the podcast is this gentle and pleasant movie that Josh <laughs> tends to like about old people cooking. <laughs> this, I don't want to call it the first one, but maybe it is, you know, that movie's come out once a year since then and not got in the love that D- Drive Miss Daisy did. But, uh, you know, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, the performances are good enough. I, I really don't know. It, you know, it's... I do think the acting is good in this movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's... I mean, it's not even glory. It's not... There's so many movies. Batman was better <laughs> than this movie. Funny <laughs> and Shrunk the Kids. Honestly, yes. The Batman. I yeah. Batman. It, you know what? What I'm going to do, and I'm going to promise it right now, is that uh, one of our year end, part of our year end stuff is that I'm going to redo the 89 Academy Awards. I'm going to redo the 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 whole Best Picture, Best Actor, Actress thing, and actually correct their mistakes. Well, do the right thing. Do the right thing is going to get a Best Picture nomination. Batman. Sex Lies and Videotapes. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Andy McDowell wins Best Actress. (laughs) The way the world should go. Yeah, Spike Lee, Best Director. Uh, Yeah, it's... Don't stop dealing with thunder. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to do this. It's not hard. (laughs) At least those three. I I lasted halfway through this this movie. How 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 does Driving Miss Daisy end? She has dementia. <laughs> he goes, actually, she dies. And then uh, Morgan Freeman gets really old, which I don't know how old Morgan Freeman is when this movie came out because he's still alive. At one point, he's in his 80s, I think, maybe 90s, because uh-huh. uh, they do fast forward quite a bit. 
and his son's driving him around or whatever. But it just—I mean, the, the nothing. She gets to mention he goes in there one day and she doesn't remember who he is, and yeah. it's—it's uh, it's not overly emotional. It's just kind of like, all right, now it's another day. It's like literally. <laughs> It's basically like watching your grandma go through the day for like the last few years of her life or weeks of her life. Uh, I mean, there's a little thing that I try to do with Martin Luther King in it that, you know, it's, I don't know. It's. It, yes. Em? Right. <laughs> if I heard that one more time. I was gonna, yes. Em? Oh my God. Just the, Oh, it's just this movie. I just can't with this movie. Basically. I mean, <laughs> this is something I texted to my sister while I'm watching this movie. 53 minutes into the movie, and Miss Daisy is telling the story of her first trip to Mobile, and I'm begging God, the, the God I don't believe in, to let me join him. It was pretty <laughs> hilarious when she backed off the out of her driveway and fell. <laughs> that was kind of the highlight of the movie. Old people driving. There's no tension. There's no story. There are people speaking in an exaggerated and theatrical fashion, but nothing is happening. I feel my soul clawing at the back of my eyes, begging for release. Those are my things that I wrote about marrying Miss Daisy. I mean, I guess you could say there's, you know, without really going into it, you know, dealing with, you know, she's a racist, but she doesn't mean to be kind of, you know, but they never dive into it. You know, she doesn't realize she's a racist because she's Jewish, so she can't be right. in but again, let's, it's not something they address. Let's look at the filmmaking too. How bland is the filmmaking in this? I mean, Bruce Beresford's direction is incredibly dull. The sets are not that interesting. The the direction, the the, the camera angles aren't particularly interesting. The editing choices aren't really very interesting. The driving scenes are monotonous. Why? I, I I just am so blown away by how silly and and just not good this is. All I would, the only thing that's really good is the acting. I think their chemistry is pretty good. I'm, I would pick Annie McDowell over her to win the Oscar, uh, but I didn't. I thought she was good in it. I think Morgan Freeman was the best part of it. Uh, but again, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would be okay if he won an Oscar for this. To be completely honest with you, the movie itself though was just it. I, I didn't need to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> we made it. We made a terrible decision. <laughs> Well, I mean, you gotta watch everything at some point, don't you? <laughs> uh, what else came out in '89? The Wizard. You don't remember this at all, do you? It's Fred Savage as a video game player. That's pretty much all. Well, I his remember. little brother is like a savant, video game savant kind of. Okay. And Mario Three is Nintendo funded this whole movie because Super Mario Three was coming out, and there was a big video game war, uh, competition at the end, and he destroys Mario Three, and I, everyone out bought Mario Three afterwards. It was fantastic. Uh, Christian Slater, Bo Bridges, go see it. <laughs> I love The Wizard. Uh, Were No Angels. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Robert De Niro and Sean Penn. It's a comedy about a couple of guys on the run who uh, hide out uh, in costumes, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's a different movie. I, I can't remember what movie. But it's got De Niro and Sean Penn in it. Yeah, that is and, the and okay, that's, yeah. They're hiding out as priests. Right. right. And... I don't know if with those two in it and it's not overly memorable, overly talked about. That's it can't be that great. <laughs> uh, enemies, a love story. I don't know what that is. Sounds familiar, but I don't recall it well enough to tell you what it's about. Uh, we had Glory as a 
classic before, I believe that came out this weekend. Denzel won the Best Supporting Actor for that, so probably deserved. I mean, we talked about that. It's a it's a solid movie. It's a well made film, and certainly, I mean, good God, is it better than it's better than this? So yeah, now we got Do the Right Thing, Glory, <laughs> Sex Lies, and Videotapes, Batman. And then family business. I don't remember what that is. No, I don't either. Uh, next week, we've got cats and bombshell. Um, I think you're missing something. Oh, uh, uh, the classic is <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new Star Wars comes out. I don't know what it's called. It's about Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker and uh, Josh is returning. Uh, the classic is the uncanny. <laughs> And Born on the Fourth of July, another former classic, and Roger and Me turned 30. And technically always in Tango and Cash do as well. Maybe we'll save those for the following episode, because that's it for 89. Uh, Tango and Cash for Best Picture. No. <laughs> that said, I mean, that movie was talked about more than Driving Miss Daisy is. Uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, FUBAR has made a bigger cultural impact than anything in Driving Miss Daisy. And I want to thank our Patreon supporters, our Key Grip level, Charlie Messing and Jason Bryant, and our Craft Services levels, Zach Codemaker, at the Character Actor level, Josh and Beth Paul, Christina Cato and Cousin Jeff, and at our site, uh, Special Effects level, Corey Finneran and Sarah Morale. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, head over to I Hate Critics on it slash Patreon to get a credit on the show. Uh, my wife is texting me. Hey. Okay, we're good. you want to play flip chart? You got to get going. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Come on, flickchart.com. Log in, and we've got Midnight in Paris, True Lies. Midnight in Paris. I love that movie. I haven't seen it, so I'll just go with it. Oh, Shrek the Third Elf. Do I hate Elf or do I hate everybody who likes Elf? Everybody who likes Elf. <laughs> and you, I mean, Will Ferrell yelling. It's yeah. Probably projecting I'll go, that I'll on go this Shrek movie. maybe. Just because oh, I don't know. Elf's not. Th- I love Favreau. I don't think he gets as much credit as he deserves. But Shrek wins. I think he's a really good carpenter. He is. He's a, he's a you know kind of a visionary in his way. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, it's just a different thing. I think Eli Roth's a better carpenter than artist. When he tries to be an artist, his movie sucks. When he's a <laughs> carpenter, they're pretty decent. AI, Pit in the Pendulum. AI. I don't know if I've seen Pit in the Pendulum, so we'll let AI win. The Day the Earth Stood Still, Gandhi. Which Day the Earth Stood Still? 2008. I'm supposed to say Gandhi, but I, I tend to fall asleep during Gandhi. And yet, hey, look, another another Academy winner. Uh. That we've been avoiding like the plague. <laughs> right? I'm going with the other movie. Day of the Earth still is not terrible. I like Keanu. I like him more and more, even though I don't know <laughs> a lot of his movies. I still haven't seen a John Wick movie. My John, uh, James Bond played before Jumanji and... My son kept trying to put James Bond and John Wick in the same movie. (laughs) He didn't understand there were two different things. Having seen neither one of them, mind you, just knowing that they exist. 
kids are amazing. Like my my seven year old goddaughter the other night, we were talking about Santa Claus, and somehow out of nowhere, she invented her own Christmas parody of uh, of the song Old Town Road that is incredible. It is five minutes long with her own lyrics, and it's literally like she starts it off with. Uh, I'm going to take my reindeer to the old town road is the first line. But then she gets to the chorus and she's, she's like, I've got the, I've got the presents in the back and the reindeer in the front. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's amazing. You thought of that? Did she write it out or she, was she just kind of. She was doing it all, saying, right off the top of her head. That's insane. I know. Kids are incredible. I, my wife posted a video on YouTube of my son singing Tribute by Tenacious D while I was playing the guitar. <laughs> Almost Famous or the Hills Have Eyes remake. Almost Famous. Sure. <laughs> what about Bob, the last king of Scotland? Um, Last king of Scotland. I find What About Bob insufferable. Thank you. I've been, that's the movie that's haunted me my entire life since the, <laughs> it came out. Without exception, every teacher I've ever had. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yes, God. Everybody's seen that movie. Lady in the Water, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Um, you know what? <laughs> uh, European Vacation, I guess, is the choice because Lady in the Water is not good. But I always will appreciate just how strange Lady in the Water is. Like, It's just such a big swing. Good for him. <laughs> oh, my internet is not being fun today. Luckily, we've been talking about things between other. <laughs> I literally pulled into town right before we started recording. Yeah. Uh, traffic about a boy. About a boy. Love that movie. Sure. Two movies I've seen one time. Scrooged. What's eating Gilbert Grape? Scrooged. Yes. Christmas Vacation Scarface. <laughs> That's just cruel. It's a good way to end the show, too. But you got to pick. <laughs> Scarface. <laughs> Asshole. 